Uh, let's begin our time before we get into God's Word and prayer together. Father, we come before you, and we are so thankful for this time of year. Time of year reminds us that you came out of the heavens. You came to this earth in the form of flesh, born as a baby. Father, you came because you loved us. You wanted to save us. You wanted to declare that we could be your children. We could have eternal life. We think of this time of year that we can come and we can celebrate with family and friends. We can gather in your house to form your bride, the church, to worship you for all that you've done, that you've put death to death by our faith in you. Father, I pray in this time that you just use me as an instrument of your righteousness, Lord, that I would not get in your way, that we would not have any human wisdom, Lord. We would have godly wisdom through your word, that your spirit would speak to our hearts, you would transform us and mold us more into your likeness, that we would be empowered and enabled to walk like Jesus and have the mind of Christ and to keep in step with the spirit. So we come before you and we ask that you just... Grant us your mercy and your grace and your kindness to open the scriptures up that we may have a deeper understanding of you and who we are in you and, and what that means as we live out our life uh, today and the rest of this week and the rest of the years we have on this side of eternity. So, Father, I pray that you alone be glorified, that your will and kingdom will be done in each and every heart in this place, including my own. We lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ who can't be here this morning, whether it's illnesses or just uh, traveling, Lord, that your presence would be upon them, that they would have a desire to be in your word, even if they can't be in your word in this place. We do ask your forgiveness for what we failed you, Lord. You know we stumble and we fall, and we fall into temptations at times, and we, we thank you that you know that all about us, Lord. It, it does not surprise you. But, Lord, give us the strength to move away from those temptations and to continue to follow your lead as our shepherd. Again, Lord, we just ask that you just have your way with us this morning. We submit completely to you and to your will. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. <clears throat> so hey, you can see behind me, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Matthew is the first gospel of the New Testament. You find it after Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you're visiting with us, and I know we have a few visitors with us, or maybe you haven't been able to be here in the last couple of weeks, we've been going through this series uh, looking at the Christmas story according to the Gospels about what could we bring. And the idea is what do we bring as God's children to a God who has everything and needs absolutely nothing? And so to answer this question, we've been looking at the Christmas story in Scripture. We've been looking in the Gospels of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke to see what Mary and Joseph and the shepherds brought and celebrating the birth of God's Son and our Savior and the Savior of the world. Now, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, though they've been eternalized in the Christmas story, they still were sinful human beings just like we are. They still wrestle with this side of, 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 of the sinful nature. And yet at the same time, what we've been able to see as we walk through each recording of Mary in the Gospel of Luke, Joseph in the Gospel of Matthew, the shepherds back in, in Luke, and now we'll be in Matthew this morning, we see that they all brought significant gifts to God in celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, gifts that we also can bring. So just kind of as some cliff notes, uh, we, we saw that Mary and what she brought and what we can bring, we bring our humanity. 
Uh, we bring our sinful nature before God and, and understanding that it is by His grace we may be saved. We bring our lack of understanding. We saw that was Mary as well. She asked, how can this be since I am a virgin? We, we don't have to have everything figured out as God's children. Praise the Lord. We don't have to have everything figured out when we come to salvation. We don't have to know all the theological terms. We don't even, even have to have all the Bibles memorized, Bible books memorized and where they are in Scripture. We bring our lack of understanding before God because His ways are not our ways are far beyond, and His wisdom is far beyond our, way, our wisdom. We're, in our lack of understanding, we bring our faith. Just because we don't understand it doesn't mean we don't have to live it. And so we have to live by faith and have a willingness to live out that faith. And in living out our faith, we bring a willingness to serve. A couple weeks ago, we turned to Joseph, and we see that in, we bring our mercy, not our mercy to God, but our mercy to people. Joseph, in hearing that Mary had become pregnant, had been found out, uh, decided he was going to divorce Mary quietly, meaning he wasn't going to put her to public shame. He wasn't going to have her stoned in the public square. And so we bring our mercy to people who also are struggling with things in their own life. And in bringing our mercy, we're going to bring our reputation. Joseph was from the house and lineage of David. That was a big family name to have in a Jewish society. And yet he puts his reputation on the line in, in remaining with Mary because of the word of the Lord came to him. And we bring our obedience. When God tells us to do something, when He leads us, we're called to follow. Finally, last week we looked in the Gospel of Luke, and we looked at the shepherds, and we saw that we bring our lowly spirit, which means our humility, our humbleness. We come before God not with pride and boasting in who we are, but in pride in who God is and what God has done for us. And that brings us to our reverence and our awe of God, our worship of God, our excitement for what God is doing in our life. The shepherds were excited in what they saw and the sign and what the angels proclaimed and so excited that they started evangelizing and proclaiming all the things and all the things that they had seen and all the things they had experienced. And that's what we bring with our excitement is we are to go out and proclaim what is God doing in our life? What has God done in our life? What is God preparing for us when this life is over? And finally, we bring our worship. Now, this morning, we're going to turn our attention to some individuals that are known as the wise men. Some people call them kings. Some people call them magi. And I am going to just give you a forewarning if you weren't here last week. For some of you, I'm going to ruin part of the Christmas story for you, and you may have to do some redecorating when you get home or maybe just remember for next year. But we're going to begin Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and the word of the Lord says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw a star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah... Are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
So first off, we got to deal with some contradictions that we may have concerning these gentlemen. Uh, most of our understanding about the wise men comes from a, a Christmas song known as We Three Kings. And if it's your favorite song, I'm, I'm really going to run that song for you this morning. Um, we Three Kings of Orient are, right? Travels so afar. I don't even know the songs. I don't even listen to it anymore. Here's the thing. The Bible never specifies how many of these men there are. Did you notice that? It just says that they were wise men. The only three thing that we know about is that there were three gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. And since we know there's plural, that means we know there's at least more than one wise man. There's wise men. So there could be two. There could be three. There could be hundreds. What we can know for sure because of the times is however many wise men there were, they would have traveled with a caravan. There have been more people with them going to seeking Herod and then going to Bethlehem because people did not travel alone in this time. It was not safe, and so they would have a security team with them. But we don't know, in fact, that there were actually three wise men. The second issue deals with the classification of what these gentlemen were. We say we three kings, but the Bible does not define these individuals as kings. The Bible tells it differently. Instead, they're defined as wise men there in verse 1. The original word for wise men is magi, which causes some confusion in translation from the Greek into the English, but it points to these individuals being part of the Persian Empire, and more precisely that they were of the tribe of the Medes. What is agreed upon when it comes to the title that they're given is that they were skilled in philosophy, they were skilled in medicine, and they were skilled in natural science. Some even go as far as to say that these wise men were perhaps fortune tellers. Maybe they were magicians, but then that would contradict God's word. Because God in the Old Testament told his people not to intermingle with anybody who was a fortune teller or a magician. And so God would not bring individuals like that in the celebration of his son coming to earth. One thing we can be sure of concerning these men is that they were interested in at least astrology in the study of the stars, and they knew the Word of God, or what we call the Old Testament. This is, after all, what brought them into Bethlehem in verses 1 and 2. They saw the star when it rose, and we have come to worship Him, who they refer to as the King of the Jews. Now, we don't know what star this is. I know there's kind of like the David star, the star, Christmas star, and things like that. All we can know for sure is whatever this star was, it was not normal. And it was worthy of their attention. It was a star that brought them from the east to King Herod. And by the way, King Herod is a self-titled king. He was put in a position by the Roman Empire to rule over or to govern the Jewish people. And he gave him the title, himself the title, as king. But he was not an official team, official king. For the most part of the Jewish people, when they thought of King Herod, they hated him. And they feared him because he was a violent man. The closest thing then that we can sing when we come to singing We Three Kings with biblical accuracy is to sing a song called There Were Two Kings. You have Herod, the self-appointed king, and now we have Jesus, the actual and real king. But the words of that song don't allow for that interpretation. Another misconception people have when it comes to the wise men is that they were at the manger. And in fact, they were not. Many times they're included within the nativity scene. I see that we have ours here, and they're actually on the wrong side because this is west, right? 
So it should be over here. Actually, and they should actually be over on the speaker at this point. I tried doing this one year, but then Jan got upset and moved them back. And um, so I, because I put them in the back of the, of the room. But um, so I didn't want to make Jan mad. But, <laughs> um, you know, when I was growing up, we had a nativity scene in our house. How many of y'all have nativity scenes at your house? Somewhere, at least one, maybe four, five, or six. You know, you got them out in the yard and you got them on every bookshelf you can find. Um, we had a nativity scene in our house. It always sat underneath the Christmas tree. And once we got the nativity scene out, what I would do is, as Christmas began coming closer and closer, is I would start bringing some of my guys to the nativity scene. And so G.I. Joe would show up, and he would be at the manger. And He-Man would show up, and you know, Chewbacca would show up, and the little green army man would show up at the manger. And they didn't fit, right? I mean, you don't, I, maybe you do, but we don't normally put those sort of figures at the manger scene. Well, here's the thing. The wise men don't belong at the manger scene either. They do not fit. The Bible tells us that the wise men did not visit Jesus, Mary, or Joseph at the manger. But did you notice in verse 11, they came to a house, again going into the house. So what it tells us is time has passed since Jesus was born. Joseph and Mary began to establish themselves in the city of Bethlehem in order to be able to purchase a house. So some of us next year, you don't have to do it this year, and maybe you're already taking your Christmas things down, but some of us next year may have to redo the nativity scene when it comes to the wise men. Another thing we can know is that the wise men did not visit Jesus when he was a baby, hence they're not at the nativity scene. We know this because in verse 12, when the wise men departed to their own country by another way, Instead of returning to Herod in Jerusalem because an angel told them in a dream not to, they instead go a different way home. And if you look in verse 16 of chapter 2, Herod becomes so upset, he issues, issues a decree, he becomes furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under according to the time that he was ascertained from the wise men. So... This implies that Jesus was not a baby. If Herod was only after babies, then he would have given the decree for only male children, babies, to be put to death, much like what Pharaoh did back in Exodus before Moses showed up. It's widely believed from the end of chapter 1 to the beginning of chapter 2, we have a time period of about nine months to two years before the wise men even show up to Mary and Joseph. So this story is not about the wise men visiting sweet baby Jesus. This is a story about a wise men visiting sweet toddler Jesus. But how do we get the wise men into the Christmas story? How did we get them into the nativity scene? And it's a good question. The thing is, when you look, no one really knows how they ended up in this situation. But the most logical explanation is that it is faulty interpretation of Scripture. And so that's why I don't really like singing We Three Kings, because it's not biblically accurate. And there's times I've had conversations with our worship team about certain words or phrases in a song, and like, okay, well, where does the Bible actually say that? Is that just a tradition that's been passed down, or is that just something we just come to believe, even though Scripture doesn't back that up? And so there's been songs, and the worship team's going to attest to it, we've actually changed some of the words just to make sure that they match Scripture. most relative question concerning Christmas today, though, is, is we get this a little uncomfortable about this whole Wiseman situation. You ever wonder, how did we turn the birthday of Jesus Christ into a day when we give each other gifts? You ever thought about how weird that would be? Anybody have a birthday this last week besides Jesus? 
Jax did? Yeah, Jax did. I saw his cute little dinosaur hat. It wouldn't be weird if we all showed up to Jack's birthday party expecting Jax and you to give us presents. We would probably be offended at that, wouldn't we? If we showed up at someone's birthday party and we're like, well, where, where's the presents you got for me? But we do that with Jesus' birthday, right? And so why did we get to that transition where we celebrate by giving each other gifts? We're going to deal with that in a second. But if we showed up at each other's house for a birthday party expecting gifts, everyone would think we're crazy. See, Christmas is about Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is about. It's not about the gifts. It's not about the decorations. It's not even about the traditions we like or the songs we sing. Christmas is about Jesus Christ. And and this is going to hurt some of y'all's feelings anymore. Christmas is not about December 25th. It's not. Matter of fact, Jesus probably wasn't born in December. He was most likely born in October or November. So Christmas is about celebrating God's gift of love to us. And in response to Christmas, in response to God's gift of love, we give gifts back to God by the way we live and how we treat people. So we've been asked this question, what could we bring? What could we possibly gift back to God who needs absolutely nothing from us but wants something from us? And giving to God as we've through, gone through this series isn't about one day a year or one month a year or one hour a week or just uh, sprinkled here and there. It's about a lifestyle. That's what Christmas is supposed to be. And this doesn't mean, Lisa, that we're going to sing Christmas songs all year round. And I know Sean's like, hallelujah, if, if he were down here. But it does mean we are to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior every single day of our life because he was born of a virgin to live a perfect life that we could not, so he could die in our place, taking our punishment. They placed him in a tomb, and he rose three days later that we might have salvation, be forgiven, and be given eternal life. This is Christmas. This is what it's about. And and I imagine as we've gone from place to place and family to family and party to party and decoration to decoration, we, we have forgotten that at times. And we get so worn out and so tired, and we're just like, ugh. And we were ready for Christmas to be over by December 26th. That's because we forget what it's actually about. So why are we looking at the wise men if they have nothing to do with the Christmas story? Because it's December 26th. We're past Christmas, right? So we're looking at what happened afterwards. And whether there are two, three, or more, these men were the first individuals to actually bring physical gifts to celebrate our Lord and Savior. And it shows us things that we can bring to God and what He wants us to gift Him. Now, after all the confusion here in Matthew 2 of trying to find out where this king of the Jews has been born, the wise men set off to Bethlehem, and they finally arrive at their destination. The Bible tells us in verse 10, And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Just picture like little kids coming down on Christmas morning and seeing the presents. Exceedingly with great joy, jumping around, hooting and hollering. Maybe I don't know, J.D., did you do that this last Christmas? Yeah, I, I can picture it in my head, you just cheering and being so happy about all that. But they bring three gifts. Do you see that? They brought treasures. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so the significance of these gifts and understanding of what we can bring to God and gift to God. See, traditions in this time say that it was improper to come before a king if you did not have gifts to bring towards that king. If you wanted the king's attention and the king's audience, then you had to bring a gift to that king. 
And so the very first gift has nothing to do with these three, but the fact that the wise men were acknowledging Jesus Christ as king. And that's what we bring. That's something we bring every single day. We bring our acknowledgement. We acknowledge that there is a God. And he created the heavens and the earth. He is the God to which the Bible speaks of and the, the God to which the Bible reveals to us. He created all things. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is all-present. He loves us. Praise the Lord. He is a God who demonstrated his love by sending his son that we celebrate at Christmas. Now, here's the thing. If you're here or you have someone in your life who does not believe in God then they should not celebrate Christmas. They sh- you should be like, well, if you don't believe in God, I don't have to get you a present. I mean, <laughs> just, they should not celebrate Christmas because Christmas is about who God is, and it should mean something. The only way Christmas can mean something is if we believe in God and we celebrate who He is. He is a higher power who has acted on our behalf by His grace and His mercy and His love towards us. Now, outside of the Bible... People have tried to come up with conclusions and and thoughts to get God out of the picture. So how can we know, in fact, that God is real, even if we don't use Scripture to back it up? Now, we as God's people would, but how do we do it for people who don't want to hear God's Word? Well, here's something every individual has to wrestle with. They have to wrestle with a couple questions. Why are things the way they are? Why is the world the way it is? Why does, it, why does the world rotate? Why does the sun rotate? Why are the stars where they are? Why is there gravity here and oxygen here? Why are we able to exist? They have to answer the question, where did all this begin? How did this all come to be? Where did it all come from? And finally, the biggest question people have to answer is, what is the point or the purpose of all this life? What is the purpose of my life? What am I supposed to be doing here? And so in seeking the answers to this question, if we remove God from the equation, then there have been, there have been developed unproven theories. Hear that again. Unproven theories that have come into exist, existence to explain the answer to these questions. Theories like the Big Bang Theory. Theories like evolution and naturalism. Here's the thing about these theories. They're unproven. These theories are unproven. And here's something else. They can't be proven. You can't prove the Big Bang. You can't prove evolution. You can't prove naturalism. Science, even with all the technological advances, cannot prove something came out of nothing or came into existence from nothing. Even in a lab, which they have labs, where they can control all the elements and they can maintain them and they can arrange them, they still can't prove these theories to be factual because they're only theories. This means when it comes to Scripture and how God says all things came to an existence, and you take the world's ways of how things came to existence, it takes faith for both of them. The thing is, when we put a faith in God and His Word, there's actually reward. There's actually meaning. And so you might be here, or you might know someone who believes that there is no God. And this brings them down to two types of individuals. Okay? The first person who believes there is no God is known as an atheist. They don't believe God exists. They, don't believe, they just believe this world, you live and you die, and that's it. Okay, there's nothing else. The other type of person who may not believe that God exists is an agnostic. And sometimes people think they're atheists, but they're actually agnostics. What agnostics say is that there's not enough evidence 
to prove that God exists. It's that the problem with both of these views of not believing God exists and not evidence to prove God exists is you have to deal with some issues. You have to deal with issues of morals, ethics, human value, the meaning of life and death. And we don't have time to dive into all this, but let's just deal with the human values and ethics. As a human being, when it comes to human values and ethics, what we believe is there are certain things that are right and there are certain things that are wrong. There are certain ways you treat people and there are certain ways you don't treat people. And it may be on different levels for different people, but we call this human value, ethics. Now, the principle with ethics and human values, how do we come to these conclusions? This is why we say, okay, one course of action is good, one course of action is wrong. This is why we applaud some leaders, and this is why we condemn others. This is why we stand up against bullies and why we get disgusted and heartbroken concerning acts of terrorism. It's because we all have, everyone on this planet has a standard of value when it comes to humans and human beings and how we treat each other. We call this ethics. We have a sense of morals, and we value life. So then the question when it comes to an agnostic or atheist or someone who is struggling with their belief in God is, where did these come from? And the secular world doesn't have an answer for it. Where do these values come from with human beings? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. It points to God. It says that God is the creator of all things, and God created all human beings, all mankind, in his image and likeness. And so those who do not believe in God are only left with a question that they cannot answer, just like they cannot prove that everything came into existence from nothing or contradictory to what the Bible says. And when it comes to Christmas and God, it isn't about having all the answers, but it's about acknowledging there is a God. He is greater than me. He is more powerful than me. He is wiser than me. And, best part, He loves me. And he is for me, not against me. Let's get to these physical gifts real quick. What were they acknowledging through the gifts? The first gift is gold. I think if we looked at the list of gifts that they brought. Most of us here today would hope that would be the gift we open, right? That, that's the one. That, I'll take the gold gift, frankincense, myrrh, whatever you got to do with that. Well, the Bible says all of these were treasures there in verse 11. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, all of them were treasures and gifts. Now, gold, we mentioned you come into a king's presence, you need to bring gifts. Gold was the most common gift that someone would bring when they would enter into the presence of a king. So the gift of gold by the wise men is acknowledging Jesus is king. Second gift is frankincense. Frankincense is a type of perfume that is used in temple worship. Again, temple worship is where the Jewish people would go to be in God's presence, to be reconciled to God through sacrifices, to hear the word of God read over them, to sing praises to God. It was the place where they could have their relationship restored to God. So in giving frankincense, the wise men were acknowledging Jesus was priest. The function of the priest was to open the way to God for men. The word priest in the Latin can literally be defined as bridge builder. The wise men were acknowledging Jesus was going to build the bridge. He was going to fill the gap between man and God. And this gap was made by sin. And God is now filling the gap through his son, Jesus Christ, by his life and his resurrection, his death and his resurrection. And if you want more about Jesus being the priest, I encourage you to read the New Testament book of Hebrews. 
It really focuses in on Jesus' role as the high priest. Finally, there's the gift of myrrh. Myrrh was used to embalm the bodies of the dead. This is a strange gift to bring a toddler, a strange gift to bring any child. But what the wise men acknowledged through the gift of of myrrh is they were understanding that this boy must die in accordance to the Scriptures. See, if they understood the star was pointing them to where he was to be born, then they also would have been familiar with other Scriptures on why he was to be born. This boy was going to die. He was going to be given a sacrifice. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 53, we are told in verse 4 through 6, Surely he, was born, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Jumping to verse 10, Yet it was the will of God to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. There's some who believe that these gifts the wise men were bringing were gifts to give to Mary and Joseph as resources as they have to evade and escape the wrath of Herod and move on to Egypt. And that's possible. They may have used it for that sort of means, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. The first gift we must bring every day of our life, not just at Christmas, is acknowledgement. We acknowledge to each other as God's people, and we acknowledge to this world that we believe in God. And we believe in Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ did, and we believe in God's Word. Without this belief, everything that God says in His Word will have no relevance to us. We are told that wise men brought these treasures well, that's a good question for us. What treasures can we bring to God? What treasures can we gift Him? Well, think about it. What do you treasure most? A lot of us like ourselves a lot. We, we, we take care of ourselves. We make sure that we're well-fed. And, and I know we take care of our kids too, but it's a gift. The treasure we bring is we bring our life. We bring all that we are. We lay down all of our hopes and all of our dreams. We put down all of our ambitions and our goals. Bringing our life means we bring all of our money, all of our resources, all of our time, all of our possessions, our kids and our grandkids. Everything that we say that defines us, we bring that to God. And in bringing our life, which our treasured possession We bring it before God and we say, okay, here's everything. Here's everything you've given me. Here's my kids, my grandkids. Here's here's my money, my time, my possessions. Here's my talents. Here's the gifts. And I lay them at your feet. They're yours to use. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And this this verse is what we call in English an oxymoron. See, sacrifices were meant to be sacrificed, which meant that they would cease to exist. But here the Bible says when we die to ourselves, we actually truly live. When we give God our life, when we sacrifice ourselves, we actually will find the abundant life Jesus Christ promises. 
Matthew 16, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Finally, the Bible tells us that these men traveled from the east. And again, we don't know how far they came. We don't know the actual distance or miles where they started at. But here's what we can know. Just like when we travel long distances, it takes time. It takes resources. Sometimes it calls us to get out of our comfort zone. And even though it was the star that grabbed their attention, it was the knowledge of the Word of God which directed them and their actions. And so this is what we bring to God because their actions show they had a love for the Word of God and had a love for God. We bring our love. Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Anytime you read that verse, that means everything you've got. It's your, <clears throat> you know when you've got to pick up something heavy, you kind of grunt, <clears throat> that's it. Love God with everything you've got. Put everything you have into it. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You know, we know when we're in love, don't you? Let's not even talk about love for people at the moment. We know when we love food. We know when we love a restaurant. Because what do we do when we find a good restaurant or something really good to eat? What do you do? You go back. It keeps you coming back. And you tell others. Oh, man, you got to try this place. We know how we respond similar to movies. Oh, did you see that movie? you got to go see that movie. To books or songs. You know, there'll be times I'll just send Darren and Jackson, hey, have you heard this song? It's just a song that I've, I've fell in love with. I just, I like the words. I like the message that it brings. And so when we're in love with things, we share it. And we want to experience it again and again. This is our relationship with God. When we are in love with God, we want to experience His presence over and over again. We want to be in His presence. We want to hear His voice speaking to our hearts, and we don't want to keep it to ourselves. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? We share it because we love Him, and we want other people to know that He loves them. Now you move it to people, which should be a different type of love, I hope, <laughs> But when we love people, when, you know, when you, you got a crush or you're falling in love with someone, one thing I remember when, when I was falling in love with Jamie and I had this massive crush on her, even though she thinks I was like, you know, stalking her, I was just showing I loved her. I wanted to be with her. But anyway, I couldn't get her off my mind. I, I, I wanted to talk to her. I wanted to see her. I, I talked about her, even when I was frustrated with her can't believe she didn't want to talk to me. I, I would talk, still talk about her, even when she wasn't talking to me. And that's what it should be when we come with God, is that we just cannot get him off of our mind because we're so in love with him, because we know he's so in love with us. We just pant for him. We thirst for him. And perhaps we come this time of year when we give gifts to one another because it is to remind us, this is what God did at Christmas. God gifted us his son. He gifted us his love. He gifted us the way back to him. He gifted us eternal life. And so when we gather around the trees or in rooms or whatever, and we give gifts, we're imitating our father 
who gave us the greatest gift. So for us this morning who have accepted this gift, here's what we need. We need to live in God's gift. We need to be people who are loving and proclaiming and excited and we're worshiping and we're obedient and we're submitting and we're living by faith and we're serving because that's what God did for us. And so we're just gifting it back to each other and we're gifting it back to this world. We obey the word of God and we live it out. But maybe you're not here, or maybe you're here and you have yet to accept this gift. And this is what you need. You need to accept God's gift. You've been accepting gifts all this last week, maybe even later today, maybe the, later this week. I don't know. But the most important gift you can accept is God's gift to you. God says in his word, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is the glory of God? It's his perfection. It's his holiness. It's his righteous standard. We all have sinned. We've missed the mark. The Bible says that the wages or the cost of sin is death. And since God is the God of the living, death means a separation from God for eternity. But here it is, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what is that gift? God tells us, for he so loved us, he so loved you. He gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish, should not die, but have eternal life. Have you accepted God's gift for you, the greatest gift of Christmas? It begins by admitting in your heart, okay, God, I, I, I'm a sinner. I miss your mark. But I believe Jesus was born. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to take my sin, and he rose again that I might be forgiven, saved, and be given eternal life. I believe that in my heart. If you believe that in your heart and you've admitted that to God, the Bible says the final step is that you need to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and your need for him. And so every Sunday we come to a time of invitation. This is why we do this. If there's anyone here this morning who's yet to accept God's gift, I'm going to ask you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. We'll pray together and we'll celebrate together. I guarantee you, I promise you, there's not a person in this room who won't be excited for you. But maybe you're here in just all the craziness of Christmas, we've forgotten what we should actually be doing. Yes, we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate with all sorts of things. But we need to proclaim God's love for, him, for us and for people. That's what we're here for. I'm going to ask Nick and Bridget, are you coming up or just Nick? They're going to come and lead us in a song of invitation. I'm going to be standing down here. If you need to accept Jesus Christ, you just need someone to pray for you, I'd love to do that with you. But let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time of year. Lord, forgive us this time we, we make it so crazy. We forget what it's about. But Lord, thank you for allowing us to come into this place to refocus, to see what we can bring to you who've, who has given us so much. Lord, I praise you that you know every heart in this place. You know who belongs to you and who doesn't. You know who has eternal life and who doesn't. And Lord, if there's someone here who is unsure or is for certain that they are not saved, but I pray that your spirit would come upon them and that you would move them and they would come today to confess you as their Lord and Savior and their need for forgiveness and salvation. Lord, let you alone be glorified in this time as we respond to your word, not just as hearers, but as doers. We praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.